preaching for that. I'm going to uh, remove my coat and get ready to speak here. And the Lord just uh, bless his word this morning. be reading out of the book of Luke and the 24th chapter to start with. So if you go there with me, the 24th chapter, the 49th verse of the book of Luke. We had been on a course of just talking about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I knew that this sermon would, uh, was broken up by last week, and so it wasn't in succession, but, but I knew that we would finish sort of this revelation of Jesus, and uh, we want to talk about that a little bit. We're not going to leave Jesus in the manger. Can you say amen? We're not leaving him in his young life or in the baptism in the water where he was anointed. We're not going to leave him there. We've got further to go. He's going, to, he's going to minister in a tremendous, outstanding ministry that the earth had never seen before. And then we don't leave him there, but he's going to go to a cross. And there he is going to hang and die for the sins of the whole world. But we're not leaving him there. He's going out of there into a tomb. And he's going to lay in that tomb only three days, and he's not going to stay there very long, but... He's going to resurrect out of that place in power and might and in newness of life. And we're not even going to leave him there in the garden with Mary. We're going to see him ascended into heaven above everything, every name that is named, above every principality and power. He is above all things. Can the church say amen? And there he is in might and power and strength. There's one more dimension that I think we need to talk about, and so we're going to deal with that this morning, and uh, hopefully it will bless your life, it will encourage you, strengthen you, cause you to see the Lord even in a more fresh and new uh, experience in your life. The 24th chapter of Luke, I do want to read the 49th verse, and behold, Jesus speaking, I send forth the promise of my Father on you. But you sit in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed, or we use that word, endued, which is a transliteration of the Greek word, endusothei. And you stay there until you are endued with power from on high. Let's go over to the book of John, the 14th chapter, one of our most favorite chapters, and you can see in my Bible, a lot of these pages are like trying to fall out, so it's, it's because we just use this so much, and uh, lots of notes, lots of things. I love this 14th chapter, but if we go to the 16th verse, and I want to read down a little bit, down to the 18th uh, to the 20th verse, and I will petition the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may remain with you forever. The spirit of the truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him nor know him. But you know him, for he abides with you 
The word with there is para alongside you and shall be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I am coming to you. Can everybody say that? I. That's not everybody. Everybody say, I am coming to you. I am coming to you. Yeah. Yet a little while and the world no longer sees me, but you see me. Because I live, you also shall live. In that day you shall know that I in my Father and you in me and I in you. In that day. Amen. Uh, I want to go back or forward again. Let's go to the book of Acts in the first chapter and pick up a couple of verses there. The fourth uh, verse and the fifth verse of Acts chapter 1. And he having met with them, he charged them not to leave Jerusalem, but to await the promise of the Father. Wait the promise. The promise. Which you heard of me. For John indeed baptized in water, but you will be baptized in the Spirit holy not many days after. Not too long from now, you will be baptized. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. May it bring light to us this morning, Lord, because the entrance of your word brings light. May it enter in our hearts. Lord, so it's not received just in a fleshly mind, but it's received in a spirit. Now then, there we retain it. There we retain that in our spirit. Lord, build it into us so that it becomes part of the structure of who we are. Lord, your word always sets our heart in order. And so I pray, Lord, that we listen and that we comprehend and that we retain it. Lord, for the good of our life in you, we pray it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. And amen, and amen. So we have some verses here that are, that are used in, in, in different directions, different theologies. And again, uh, I'm, I'm going to touch on just some theological things this morning. I hope you're okay with that. If you're not, then uh, just look down at your Bible until I'm done, and we'll never know the difference. We need to establish a few things. There's a promise. There's a promise of the Father. There's a promise. Everybody knows what a promise is. We got some young people around here that are doing, making some promises. They're, they're you know, I uh, won't go any further than that, but they're uh, uh, to that point of making promise, and, and hopefully that promise is going to carry out. Amen. But the promise of the Father, the promise. And so we need to establish just a couple of things if we're going to establish the promise, what the promise is, what it's about. Then we also need to establish the characters, uh, the ones that made the promise, the ones that carry out the promise. And so let's look at that for a few minutes this morning. We believe that the promise comes from the Father. The Father spoken of here, we need to just establish what Father, who, where, uh, what is this Father that makes this promise? And so let's go with that. The Lord God, Yahweh. Lord God, Yahweh. He is 
the eternal self-existent one. He needs no help. He needs no one to aid him. He's always been, always will be the self-existing God. His name is Yahweh. That word Yahweh or that name, Yahweh, means to be who he is, what he is, and he will always be that he is. I am that I am, is what he told Moses. Now, try and describe that to somebody. Lord, I'm going down to talk to Pharaoh, and I need your name. Well, I'm going to give you my name. My name is I am that I am. Well, let's put it, no, let's, let's define that a little bit so I can really, you know, fix that. Maybe we can, maybe we can apply some words to that. Don't need any words to that as I am that I am. This Yahweh is the progenitor. He is the creator, father, progenitor. He is the producer of all things tangible and intangible, of heavenly and of earthly. There is nothing that he did not Create. You can go to John 1.1 1, 1 and find out nothing was made unless he made it. He's the producer. And because he makes all things, he is also called Father. Patera in the Greek, which just simply means the one that births it, the one that causes it to come to be, the one creator. And so we look at this father. He's the one who planned all things by his logos found in John 1 and 1. His logos, his reasoning, his concepts of how that he would do things to make this planet habitable for humanity. We're talking about this one called father. He's the one also who not only made this planet, He's not, not, not only the one who created humanity, but he is the one who became flesh and dwelled among us. A lot of people want to stop with Father. He's just progenitor. He, he made things. He did things in our Old Testament time. And we're really going to kind of stop it there because we have to have the distinction between Father and Son. Well, let me tell you this morning that the Father is the one who became flesh and dwelled among us as the only begotten Son of the Father. God, it wasn't God who put it off on somebody else to carry it out. And I like this because we teach about men around here, and I believe that men, men are responsible. Can you say amen? Men need to do what they need to do. They're responsible for their family. They're responsible for their jobs. They're responsible for their children. And I know that the women and wives are also in another dimension, another area. They are But the man steps forward and says, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to do this. It's my responsibility. And we always see God in that male gender because he is the one who is going to do it. He's not putting it out on somebody else. And, and I'll have somebody else carry it out. Somebody said, well, God can't feel pain. Well, you just don't understand. It was God in Christ Jesus who was reconciling the world to himself, by himself, for himself. So we establish the Father does not have a distance between him and the Son. It's not like some separation. Now, I have a son, and he has a son, and I have daughters, and they have sons and daughters, and, and we love them. There is some separation between us. 
Rodney is a man of his, of his own ideas, his own thoughts. He's got his, his own uh, compulsion, to do, compulsion to do things that may be a little different than mine. He may have some desires that may go a little different. He's not exactly who I am, though he's pretty close and he tries to be like Dad a lot. But we don't see that in Christ. In fact, he said, I don't say anything of myself. Everything that I'm about to tell you doesn't come from me. It comes from Father within me. And and so when we look at this Father, we don't see him as being detached somehow from the work that's set forward in this messianic ministry and the propitiation for our sin, somehow God is removed and so Christ will do it all and he'll present the blood to the Father and the Father will look at it and see if he possibly accepts that or not. According to Acts, the 20th chapter and 28th verse, it says that we are purchased by the blood of God. So Christ is not acting on his own. He, He is... He is that which the Father became. And so when we see this Father position, we're looking at spirit. We're looking at at something that is not fleshly. But then we see Christ, and He is the Son of that Father. He is the demonstration of what God is. He is that in the flesh. And so we know that. We preach that a lot. He's God manifested in the flesh. He is that hypostatic union of God, which is spirit, and man, which is flesh, and it's aptly called an incarnation. It's God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. In other words, Emmanuel is with us. It's not someone else. It's not, I hate that theology that says, well, 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 Jesus was just a, another Jewish boy. He was in the clean king line of David, and, and then his, his mom and dad were, were Mary and Joseph, and he became of age, and when he became of age, he was adopted into being the only begotten Son of God. That's blasphemy according to Scripture because you're going to separate God right out of him. You cannot separate God out of Jesus Christ. He is the manifestation. He is humanity, and he is God all wrapped up in one package. He is humanity, yet he is the father of eternity at the same time. We will call him, we will call him wonderful, we will call him counselor, we will call him the mighty God, we will call him the prince of peace, but we will also call him Ab Abi, the father of eternity. And so when you see him, you'll never see him just as a man. But you'll see him as God demonstrated in man. Let me say this about him. Yeshua is the Lord. He's Lord, not some Lord. Not a Lord. Not part Lord. He's not one third of a sharer of the Lord title. Jesus is Lord. And again, he's not just another Lord. He is the Lord. 
So all we need to do is slip back into the Old Testament just enough to pick it up where it talks about the Lord. Then we'll find the same Lord is manifested before us and it is Jesus who is Lord. And it said when the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And He is that Lord. And so His presence equals the presence of the Almighty Yahweh, eternal, self-existing God, all wrapped up in the humanity of Jesus Christ. Everybody like that? Say amen. He's the Lord, the very image of God. We put it this way. He is the eminence of the transcendent one. He is the prosopon presence of the athartos immortal. He is the face of the person of Yahweh God. And when you see him, I don't know who you think you're seeing, Philip. You're asking me to show us the Father. Let me show you the Father right now. When you see me, you have seen the Father. Don't make any mistake about this, disciples. This is my last night on earth, and I want to give you full disclosure. You're not going to see the Father anywhere else. When you look at me, you have seen that progenitor. You have seen that mighty eternal one. You have seen the transcendent one that cannot be seen. You have seen the invisible God ever abiding in the heavenly. You're seeing him as you look at me, he tells Philip, and the disciples, and from henceforth, you can go out of here saying, I have seen the Father. Man, that's awesome. That's all I got. Well, yeah, right there. That's awesome stuff. So I always say this we're not serving the secondary God here. I know we got, oh man, we got placements in God. You know, we got first person priority. <laughs> The Father, first person priority. The Son, second person, less priority. Holy Spirit, third person, less, less priority. I think we've got God really, really mixed up if we're going that direction. I don't see him in any, any kind of division at all. God has no division in him. He has no... Uh, secondary, he has no counsel, he has no, no uh, friends that weigh into his decisions. He is almighty, wonderful, all-established, everlasting God, our Lord and Savior. Can you say amen? Now, we need to look at this term, Holy Spirit. Let me look at the term Holy Ghost first. We have the placement of the Father. The placement of the Father eternal, the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, the flesh man and the Father in him and all the fullness of the Godness dwelt in him bodily. And now we look at this, this what we call Holy Spirit in your King James Version, you're always going to have Holy Ghost. And the reason why you have Holy Ghost there is that John Wycliffe in 1380, who was trying to give the English-speaking people their first English Bible. 
The only thing he had to translate from was the Vulgate. And when he did that translation out of the Vulgate, he took a word that meant something quite literally different than what the Greek text means. And so I'm not going to hold it against him because all he had was, was the Roman text. That's all he had, the Vulgate. And so it was all Latin. It meant something a little different. So let's don't hold it against John Wycliffe. I believe he was a good man trying to give the English people a word of God. And, but yet he, he used this word, ghost, and that's something you can find if you can read it. I've been back and tried to look at that translation, and I'm telling you what, it's English, but it doesn't look like English. It's got a lot of F's where S's goes and, and just all kinds of things, and it just, it's really, really hard to read. But in there, he put all the references here to pneuma, which is the Greek word. He used the reference ghost, and so let's look at that for just a minute. Uh, the term ghost or Holy Ghost is very misleading. Let me tell you why. Because a ghost, by definition of English words, a ghost is an apparition. It's a phantom. And, and even a nebulous image, it says. And so the textual word doesn't agree with the word apparition. It doesn't agree with the word phantom. But it agrees with the word wind and breath. The word pneuma is being absent of a tangible form. And so if you put pneuma in a tangible form, you do have a ghost. And so we have this areas in the scripture where, let's say, for instance, demon spirits. And we always think of a demon spirit. He's this little guy, you know, and he's, he's got horns and, and maybe a pitchfork and, and, a, and, a, and a tail. Have you ever seen that picture? That's the devil. Well, I just want to reassure you this morning, that is not the devil. He is a spirit of darkness. He, he has a realm and a dimension of evil. And his demons that are with him are not necessarily some little form of a spirit that, that gets into a person. And we, we see that where Jesus delivered the man who had a legion of demons. There were, I don't know how many was in a legion. I think they said it was a, a thousand and so this man has a thousand demons in him, but they're not little Casper the Friendly Ghost demons. They're not like that. They are spirits. They're powers and dominions and spirits. And when he cast those spirits out of that man, a whole bunch of little ghosts didn't go run and get inside of the pigs. It was the spirits that, that came out of that man, those evil, rotten spirits and dominions came out of him and got in those pigs and they ran and, and choked themselves. They ran over into the ocean and they choked herself and died. If we look at the Spirit of God somehow as being a ghost, now let me say this, there is, there is definitely a difference between God's Spirit and the Spirit that's in the world. There's a difference between Holy Spirit and demonic spirit. Let me tell you what the difference is. The difference is the adjective that's in front of it. It's going to define that there is something that is so totally different than the rest of the dominions in this world, and it's called holy. And you only get one place where it's holy, and that is God, that is this Father that has demonstrated himself in Christ Jesus. He is the only source of holy. There is no other source of holy. You and I are not a source of holy. We are receivers of holy. And God makes us holy by his precious work that he does in our life. But you're not a source of holy. Certainly the, the dominions around us, 
They are not holy. The administrations around us, the city powers, the, the dominions that are all around us in this, they are not holy. They do not bring holiness. There's only one source of holy this morning. And if you're going to get holy, you're going to attach to that source of holy. If you do not attach to that source of holy, my friend, you will never find out what holiness is in your life. Amen. Let's give the Lord a praise right there. And so, many of us have been touched with, some came out of, have been a part of what we call holiness movement. What is holiness movement? That would be a set of ideas that we think makes us holy. If you don't do a certain thing, or you do certain things, there's holiness in that. And so we follow this path, and then we, we call it holy. We look at one another, and you're part of the, the holiness movement because I see that uh, you are appearing to be what I think is holy. That doesn't work with God. He doesn't look at that stuff at all. He's not even going to bend down to even see what that's about. What he's going to do is he's going to project holiness that doesn't come out of you. It doesn't come out of your mind and what you think. It doesn't come out of church uh, genders. It doesn't come out of places that men have invented so that we can have this holiness feeling about ourselves. Every bit of holiness comes out from within God himself. And if we're holy, it's only going to come by the power of Jesus Christ. The holiness that he has be demonstrated within the life and the holiness of which we are. And it comes from him. Can everybody say amen? That's, that's, good, that's good teaching right there. I wish I'd have had a little bit of this when I was younger and, and uh, could have... Avoided a few things, but, you know, everything works out in time. Amen. So the, the penuma, breath, wind, being absent of a tangible form. As I said, the word holy is the adjective. And everywhere that you can go in Scripture and find the word holy you're going to find it presented as an adjective, not a name. Does an adjective change the subject? Because there are those that believe when you attach holy to spirit or to ghost, that it actually changes the subject. Now, I say it this way. You bought a new truck. It does not change the truck. Well, I mean, an old truck and a new truck are different, but they're both trucks. You, um, you ha I have a yellow house. The subject is the house. The adjective is the yellow. But I could go home this afternoon and start painting it white. Then I'd have a white or a, a green. Not have a green, but it's still a house. The adjective doesn't change the house. The house is still there. He is a good man or he is a mean man. 
There's an adjective there, and a way we see that man, but he is, in the subject, a man. Does everybody understand what I'm trying to say? That the, the adjective doesn't change. The adjective describes. So we're just like doing a, man, you're going to hate me. We're back in school, right? You know, what is it, English 101 or something, you know. Let's go on to better things. Well, I think we'll, we'll stop right here for a minute. Because if we take the subject and we change it with an adjective, the adjective is the description. So if I am going to say spirit, that could be anything. That could be a demon spirit. That could be my spirit. You know, each one of us have a spirit inside of us. That could be just me, how I do things. And, and, and just say a spirit, it's not enough. I don't want to just receive any old spirit. Now, I know some people that have, and I really fear this. I, I, I've talked to, to uh, uh, Ronnie about this at, at length sometimes, that I believe sometimes people receive a spirit thinking that they're receiving something from God. You need to be careful what you open yourself to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The church up here in Reading got up and said, we are now loosing the spirit of Lonnie Frisbee. Oh, wait a minute. Now, let's see here. We need to find out who Lonnie Frisbee was. Oh, no, uh-uh, homosexual, uh, no, 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 no. Oh, he was a youth pastor, but at the same time practicing homosexuality. We are not loosing that spirit. It's a spirit, but we're not loosing it. And we're not receiving it. I worry about people who lay down on graves and suck spirits out of the graves. I worry about that. What are you getting? Well, I'm only going to suck the good spirits out of the grave. No, you're, you're getting some evil spirits at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This is not a practice of Christianity. Somebody say amen right there. We don't just go around receiving spirits. I have enough trouble with my flesh. I know that y'all don't, but I do. I don't need any help from wrong spirits. I already have enough to worry about my own self. I get out of sorts without a foul spirit. Can you say amen? Anybody say amen to that? And if you don't believe that, by the time you get out and get in your car and your wife doesn't get there on time, you know, and there it all starts again, you know. But... We have to deal with this guy right here. I don't need anything on the outside coming in that's going to make it worse for me. So I'm very careful about what I receive. I mean, are you skeptical to the point that you just automatically don't receive everything? No, but I just want to look it over and make sure that I'm not receiving something that's going to be damaged to my spirit. I prayed for a lot of people in church, and, and I'm not saying they're demon-possessed, but God has showed me at times they have entertained a wrong spirit in their life, and because of that wrong spirit, they have this confusion going on. They're, 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 they're into things they shouldn't be into because they've received a wrong, maybe just a wrong teaching. A wrong teaching can be a wrong spirit. Get up in here and tell you it's all right to go out and do this and that and the other. And a lot of churches are doing that and people are receiving that. And when they receive that, they have received a wrong doctrine, a wrong teaching. Now, I'm going to tell you what, it's really hard to get that out. 
Wrong spirits don't come out easy, real easy. They have to be, the Bible says, they have to be cast out. That means somebody stronger has got to boot them out. Can you say amen? So I'm really careful about what spirit, but there is a spirit that is defined for us. It's described for us so that we know there is no doubt about what we're receiving when we receive Holy Spirit. A lot of folks are just looking to speak in tongues. A lot of folks are just looking to have power. Maybe lay hands on somebody. Maybe do some good work. A lot of folks are just looking for a thrill. I'm telling you this, church is not Disneyland. You don't come here for a thrill. You come here that the Spirit of God will touch your life and make you and mold you and work you until you are in the image of our God that has made us and that's the reason for the Spirit of God. I heard a woman preaching. She, she got two. Well, it was just horrible. It was I, I didn't want to hear it, but I listened to a little bit of it. And she was describing God, and when she got to Holy Ghost, she said, Holy Ghost is fun. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If that's the spirit that you received, then you're going to do a lot of weird things, and you're going to think a lot of weird things. I believe there is a spirit that is not the Holy Spirit that may be called Holy Ghost, and you may be receiving something that is not of God. Yeah, but pastor, I jabbered in tongues. I don't really care much about that. That is no proof that the Spirit of God abides inside of your life. I have seen people that speak in tongues that were not living under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So let's go on. We're having so much fun here. So placing holy with penuma does not change it from being breath or wind. Putting holy on Panuma does not get us to an apparition. It doesn't get us to a ghost. Placing holy with Panuma, whether it leaves us with this attribute of holy breath of God. Now, there's not a lot of people preaching that, I know, because I've never heard it. I don't hear everybody, but I hear some. We kind of want to take the breath of God and kind of cast that out the side door. We'll just go for the personage of Holy Spirit. There is no personage of Holy Spirit. Benny Hinn wrote a book. He said, good morning, Holy Spirit. And he gets up every morning and good morning, Holy Spirit. Well, that's good. That's, that's nice. And he also wrote a book that said, you know, that, that, that God is three, and each one of those three have three. And, and uh, so, you know what? That's Hinduism. You finally get there, and you've got a million gods, and he's all called one God. No, I just have one God, and he's separate, and he's not combined with anybody else or anything else. He is just holy, righteous God all by himself. He doesn't have multiples of numbers with him. He is just almighty God, and his spirit is holy. And so let's let's look at this um, John 20, 22, and I know 
We're yet early, so so we're good. Don't go to sleep. I, I know that, that eyes want to get heavy because we're not watching TV here. Maybe if I hid in the back room and I was on TV up here, everybody would be, you know, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> but, but I'm not. I've, I've seen some churches, though, that it's comical to me. Uh, you know, a smaller church like this and the pastor's preaching, they've, they've got this bigger-than-life-size screen over here and one over there, and I just wonder, you know, what are they watching? I mean, so focus, all right, for a little bit, and we'll be done. John 20, 22. I love this because this shows exactly what God had in mind here. And he breathed on them, came to his disciples in a room after his ascension, after, after his death, burial, and resurrection, they're in a room. They're hiding for fear. He comes into the room, and he breathes on them. Somebody had us trying to breathe on people. You don't want my breath. It's no good. No, really, seriously. Um, blowing bad breath on people is not going to heal them. Might make them gag, but it's not going to heal them. Jesus comes into the room, and he, the, the word literally means to exhale. Well, that's a funny greeting, isn't it? Comes into the room and says, I'm here. Don't be afraid. Give me a piece of fish, and I'll show you that I'm literally, I'm here. You ate the fish. And then he, he just breathed on him. And he said something very interesting. According to what I'm preaching this morning, I think this lines exactly up. The Greek is said, Labete panuma agion. Receive spirit holy. Okay. Do you think that he's advising them for some other time? Or do you think he just breathed holy breath on them at that moment? We know the outpouring hadn't come yet. That's, I'm going to read that in just a minute. The outpouring Pentecost hasn't come yet. But does it need to? He's the one in control of the baptism of Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said that in the first chapter of the book of John. He said, the one coming after me, I'm baptizing folks and, and I'm getting them down in the remission of sin, uh, of repentance of their sin, and not remission, but just, just repentance and baptizing in water. He said, but there's one coming after me. He's not going to baptize you in water. He is going to baptize you in Holy Spirit and in fire. And he will do that to his disciples. He breathes on them. And says, receive, basically saying, receive what John the Baptist talked about. So who's going to be the baptizer here? See, we've got this wrong idea. I don't know how one person could baptize me in another person, if we're talking about persons. So I'm going to leave that right there. Would you go to John 7? Who's over here? Katie, would you go to John 7, uh, 39? And I want to read this in the King James. It's uh, John 7, 39. There we are. 
But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. This is in the middle of his ministry. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. That whole script right there is a wrong interpretation. And I, you know, I'm not trying to put cast doubt on your Bible. But that's not the Greek. That's not the text. It doesn't say, and the Holy Ghost was not yet given. What it says was, is that not yet was the Spirit. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, now, now, now look. Not yet. Do we have another dimension, another revelation, another manifestation? Because he's not yet finished with this one. But if you look at this, it's a holy handoff in heaven. He's got the baton and he walks up and hands it to the ghost. And then the ghost takes over. That, that's exactly what this is saying, is what it's meant to say. The word given is not even in there. What he's trying to say is, the spirit has not yet been manifested because the flesh has not yet been glorified. But when this thing of glorification happens, then you're going to begin to see a change because you're not going to see him by the flesh any longer. He will not be visible to you any longer. There's another dimension, a finished dimension of what God is going to do in the revelation of Jesus Christ, and there it is because it will be given. It's just not yet given in the middle of his ministry. And so do we have a holy handoff or do we have one manifestation into another? Okay, now I'm going to pull something on you, and I've got a few minutes left, so, so uh, stay with me. Have you ever heard of a double entendre? Please raise your hand. We've got two. One of them's a school teacher. <laughs> Thank you. A double entendre. I've learned something this week. I've never even heard that in my life. Double entendre. What in the world is double entendre? Well, it basically means, and I'm going to check with the school teacher, it basically means that a statement could have more uh, than one meaning, could have two meanings. Am I, am I good, Sister Christine? She's, yes. Years ago, we were in the Greek class, and this guy came in, he was visiting, and he said, well, that scripture, you know, it's kind of like this. He said, the boy saw the monkey swinging from the tree. Who was swinging? Well, we automatically think the monkey was in the tree. But no, the boy could have been swinging in the tree when he saw the monkey. It's called a double entendre. Entendre. It means that you may see this one way, but yet it can be another way too. I'm going to tell you what KBI, which is Kincaid Builders Incorporated, we live on this stuff. They're laughing hard. They know. We'll see a sign, 
and it's trying to say one thing, and, and it will make it say something else. It's just because of the way things are worded, you know, and you'll get a different message out of that. It's the same, you know, it's the same sign, but you can see it that way, or you can see it this way. I love this. Just not too long ago, I'll, I'll, I'll say that in a second, but, but I, I go to Google, and I say, and I print this in to Google. This, this is just really, really how this works. Can there be a double entendre in Greek? It's a fair question, right? I want to know. The answer, they begin to print out for me the words for double entendre in Greek. I wanted to know if it could happen in Greek, and they're printing out the words for it in Greek. Double entendre. There it is. Not long ago, and I had to look this up, as this is awesome, it's beautiful, out on a church sign in front of the church, it said, we love hurting people. <laughs> you could read that any way you want to. And I think it goes both ways sometimes. But what they're trying to say is that we love people, and, and, and we just love hurting people. You know, they're, they're hurting, and we just love them. But on the other side, just like, you know, we love hurting people. So this, this double entendre, uh, it happens in Scripture. It happens in everyday life. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they didn't understand? They took it differently than what you were trying to say it. We often have that happen, and we've got to make ourselves clear. Sometimes I'm not real good at that, but, but we need to do that. And so uh, we back up and we, we clarify it. Because we don't want to get, you know, the wrong meaning of what we're trying to say. So I said all that to say this. In John 1.33, you can put it up there if you want to. And this, this is John speaking, that he that comes after me, he baptizes with Holy Ghost. And so that's a King James Version. He baptizes with Holy Ghost. And so in our mind, when we take with, it's always something that we use. And so Jesus is, I'm not exactly sure how this works, but how it looks, but he's got Holy Ghost right here, and he takes you and, and baptizes you in Holy Ghost. I mean, that's, that's kind of the picture, and I'm not trying to be silly with that, but, but to me, that's sort of the picture. Or, or should it go according to, as the Greek text reads, this is the one baptizing you in his holy breath. Luke 24, uh, 49, which we just read this morning. I send the promise of my Father upon you. Or is it saying, as the Greek says, I send the promise of my Father. Or, excuse me, I send the promise of the Father of me upon you. So now you can see it. I see the promise of my Father. I send it upon you. Or you can see it this way. I send the promise of the Father of me upon you. 
Does it make any difference? Oh, I think it makes a lot of difference. In Acts 1-4, go in Jerusalem and await for the promise of the Father which you heard of me. So you can read through it really quick. Well, I heard the Lord say we need to go, you know, wait until the promise. Or you can see it. You go wait until you get the promise of the Father of me. I guess what I'm trying to do is say nothing escapes Christ. If you have an experience outside of him, you're having it with another spirit. Somebody said, we've had, you know, we, we all know about Jesus. We all know he died. We need to go on beyond that. I don't want to be with you. Mm-mm. Because it's all part of his revelation. Remember a couple weeks ago when I said all the sum of the parts, they make up the whole. And so what he was in birth, what he was in ministry, what he was in baptism, what he was in death and resurrection and ascension, he also is in the outpouring of his spirit upon his people. And I can't take him out of any part of that. He is the whole. He's the whole of everything. For in him all things exist. So let's go a little further. I will not leave you orphans. I love that statement. That sounds like a personal thing. But you'll know him, the spirit of truth. I read that because he abides alongside of you and will be with you. And here's a perfect demonstration of the manifestations of Christ. Here he is in flesh. He's walking alongside him. His disciples are walking alongside of him, and they know who he is. They know he's Jesus. Who am I? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And they're walking alongside of him. And then he tells them here, You're, you have been walking alongside of me, but I won't even, I won't just be beside you, and I don't want always just be beside you, but I will be inside of you. In other words, it's saying, I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you fatherless without protection, without provision, without instruction, without love and care, and having no inheritance. I am coming to you. I don't know how we can misinterpret this. I'm coming to you. We talk about the spirit of truth. I am coming to you. Jesus said, I am. In the same chapter, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there is absolutely, there is absolutely no separation from him and spirit that is holy. One thing I like that Peter said on the day of Pentecost, he said, the promises to you and your children and to all that are far off, and as many as the Lord our God will call. Why do you think you're sitting here this morning? Because you just stumbled into a church and you heard some folks singing and preaching and you liked it? No, because there's a promise left for you, but that promise is not void of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's not removed out of the promise. Friends, He is the promise. He's the promise of the Father. So I want to set up one thing, and we're going to go, okay? I've been preaching for about 54 minutes, so that's a long time. But I want to talk about the, the day of Pentecost and just set it up. 
And I know where I came from, and I know where some of you came from, and, and the expansion of this, this scenario is quite real in Pentecostal movement. So the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all in the upper room, and they were doing exactly what you're doing. They weren't getting up, running around the church. They weren't rolling in the floors. They weren't doing any of that. You know what they were doing? Sitting. Boy, that's not very Pentecostal. Well, I don't know. It happened on the day of Pentecost. They were sitting. Because exuberance and emotion and the Holy Spirit of God are not synonymous. Just because you get excited doesn't mean you touch the holy. But let me... Let me also say that when, when the Lord does touch you, you're going to have a response too. They're all collected. They're sitting there for almost seven days. How would you like to be in this church for seven days? I can hardly get people to stay here and, and listen to me for one hour, and I'm almost done. Man, what are we eating for lunch? Woo-hoo. Boy, come on, Pastor. Yes. Seven days. See, it was 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. Jesus died and was in the tomb three days, three nights, and he arose, at least 47. He showed himself with infallible proofs to his disciples, and then he left out of Bethany, and Luke records that. There was only seven days left. Go and tarry in Jerusalem. Go stay and wait in Jerusalem. And man, I'm telling you what, people were getting antsy by the seventh day, weren't they? Now I'm sitting here, but boy, I gotta, man, I got to plow my field. I got stuff to do. But those that were awaiting, they got into one mind and one accord. You know, I wonder if Peter, he's, he's over there, said, listen, don't give up here. Now, you know, we've been saying, we're waiting for the Lord. The Lord told us, he said, he told us over there before, on, the, on the last night, he said, I'm coming. And he came into the room where we are, and, and so we're expecting him to show up again. And then they're orderly. You don't have to be out of order to receive the Spirit of God. Let me make that clear. The more out of order we are, the more the Spirit of God, and I say the reverse of that. I've seen that, but I think that God's Spirit does things in a right and proper way. Can you say amen? Because he wants to concentrate something in your life, and it's not just emotion. So here they are sitting. A sound comes out of heaven. It didn't come out of the neighbor over there. It didn't come out of the cars honking down the street. It came out of heaven. And it, you know what it sounded like? <laughs> Very loud. A rushing, mighty wind. Do you know what that wind was? That wind was the breath of the one who promised to be there. I heard a guy preach a whole message that, that the Holy Ghost came out of heaven and he had the miles an hour and everything that he came down out of heaven. And when he hit that room, it was like, no, I don't receive that. But what I do receive is that Jesus came back. And he breathed. They didn't see him this time, but he's there. And he breathes upon the whole congregation. Everybody that's in that place. 
every one of them is going to feel the presence of the same Savior who walked with them. Whether God is manifesting himself in flesh or whether he's manifesting himself in spirit, it's the same God. And the one they walked alongside with, they knew his presence when they felt it. And Peter and James and John and all the apostles sitting there, they knew this this is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is in the house today. And so everyone that was there, they, they literally felt the presence of God. They heard this wind roaring, which was the breath of God. And then what is divided unto them is different languages that sat upon them. I know if you were raised in Pentecost, you've already seen the little cartoon caricatures of, about all of this and the fire sitting over their head. It does not say there was any fire sitting over their head. What it said, it was like as fire. It just began. We've had some wildfires up here, amen? You can't hardly stop them. They're having a terrible, is the Dixie fire still going? Been going for months now. Can't stop it. I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to stop the fire of God either. You're going to stop the fire of God. It is going to, it is going to burn. And every heart that desires the freshness and newness of God, it's going to burn upon you. And God is going to put his fire upon those. And it's just, it's just a burning by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And I want you to know that Jesus did return. He did exhale his spirit upon them. And every individual believer received his holy presence. And the gospel was given to the nations by their speaking in languages drawing the nations of the world together under one covering and that covering is still our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No direction to go without Him. And we receive the same promise. God who is incarnate in Christ Jesus is still present with us through and by His holy breath in our lives. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Musicians, if you'd just come for a moment, I just want to sing a song to end. But I also want you to know there's a purpose of His holiness in our life. He is going to equip us and make us and mold us, cause us to be witnesses of His goodness and glory. Your proof that the Holy Spirit of God is real. You are living proof. See, you were lost in your trespasses and sins. And there's a few of us been saved so long, we'd like, huh? We were lost. But God, by the power of his holy breath, he took these old lives that were ruined and cast away in a mess and full of stuff that just was shameful and he and what did he do he washed us and cleaned us and set us right and free Jesus I love you I praise you I adore you glorify your name Lord I love you I worship you